Well, my family uh, really enjoys being involved in local uh, community theater. Um, a couple of my kids have been in several local youth theater productions. And in fact, every member of my family uh, has played some role in uh, the local Christmas Carol production here in town. But you know, an interesting aspect of, of the larger theater productions is the role of an understudy. You know, an understudy is a performer who has to learn every detail of someone else's role. They have to learn all the lines, all the songs, the dances, the blocking, the stage movements, exactly the way that the main original performer does them. They pay attention to how the original performer, the one they are under, the one they are studying, how they move, how they speak, how they sing, so that they're able to imitate everything they do. And of course, the reason for this is that the understudy is on standby. They are literally waiting in the wings in case an emergency happens, health problem, sickness, and takes the original performer out of commission. Uh, there's one particular Broadway star uh, named Sutton Foster, and she got her, her big start, her break, as an understudy. She had actually turned down a, a major role in, in the, the musical Les Miserables on Broadway because she wanted to be the understudy for the lead role in a musical called Thoroughly Modern Millie. And everyone thought she was crazy to make that choice. But as it happened, when the lead performer dropped out of the production, she took on the lead role of Millie, and ended up winning a Tony Award for her performance in that show. So what if you, what if you had the lead part in a major show, and then you got sick and you had to drop out? What would you, what would you tell your understudy, this person who had been learning from you, learning your parts, learning your lines, if you only had the opportunity to give them a few basic instructions before they're launched out onto the stage? Where would you focus? Because you know it would be just be so much easier if you could just do it yourself. And even if you've never been in a play or a musical, you know what this is like, whether it's in the work or in the home or in school. Uh, if you could just do it for yourself, that would be the easiest thing. But you're not going to be there. And now it's up to them. And you have to trust that, that they've watched you, they've studied you, they've learned from you, and now the show will go on. Well, today we're beginning a study in 2 Timothy, and it's a letter written by Paul, a Christian leader who played an incredibly large role in the formation, the founding of the early church. And he's writing these final instructions to a young leader, Timothy. And he's writing this because he knows that pretty soon he isn't going to be there anymore. And it's going to be up to others, like this young Timothy, to guard the gospel and to, to help the church continue to thrive and to grow. So this book of 2 Timothy, this is Paul's final letter that we have in the New Testament. It's intensely personal. It's affectionate. This is the great apostle's last charge to his protege, Timothy. And the setting is this. Paul is, is chained in a Roman prison cell. Now, this is not the, the house arrest 
that we see described at the, the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 28. Because there we have this description that Paul is, is being able to, to rent a house at his own expense. He's able to receive visitors uh, from all over. He's able to teach everyone who comes to him without hindrance. But according to some of the earliest Christian writings, um, Clement was one of the early church fathers, and there was an early church historian named Eusebius, and they both attest to this, that Paul was set free from that first Roman imprisonment where Acts 28 leaves off, and he went on to further travels. And so it would be during these travels that he, he left Titus behind as someone to establish the church in Crete, and, and that's described in Titus 1.5. He leaves Timothy behind in Ephesus to lead the church there, and that's, that's alluded to in 1 Timothy 1.3. And then later on, he writes letters to these guys, to Titus and to Timothy, and those letters are in our Bibles as Titus and 1 Timothy. But at some point, Paul was rearrested. And so it's this second Roman imprisonment uh, that, that likely occurred during the reign of Nero. And so now, the way Paul describes the situation is one of significant suffering. He's bound with chains as a criminal, we read in 2 Timothy 2.9. He asked for Timothy to visit him soon in chapter 4, verse 9, because he says his time of departure is upon him when his life will be poured out like a drink offering. And so he even asked Timothy for something as practical as bring me my cloak, probably because he's cold in this dark, damp cell. But he exhorts this young pastor to remain faithful to Christ, faithful to the truth of the gospel, and to his calling as a minister. And so one scholar writes about 2 Timothy He says, this letter is Paul's testament and swan song. Now, Timothy, who was the original recipient of this letter, he was still serving in Ephesus, the same church where he was. Paul wrote 1 Timothy to encourage him. Timothy and Paul first met, uh, you see the account of this in Acts 16. And Paul is visiting a city called Lystra. It's his second visit to Lystra. And he takes Timothy under his wing. He's spoken well of by the believers there. And he brings him along on his missionary journey. And so over the course of of their ministry together, Timothy became Paul's trusted and beloved ministry companion. And so some of you may remember, even when we uh, last, uh, a while back, Tanner and I preached through Philippians, the letter to the Philippians. And in Philippians 2, Verse 20, Paul wrote about Timothy, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And so it's, it's in this context, with this backdrop, that the apostle writes to his son in the faith. And this is a letter both of looking back, of of reminiscing with with thankfulness, with deep love and affection, and we're going to see that particularly uh, in today's passage. We're going to be focusing on the first five opening verses. Um, If you have a Bible or you want to turn uh, either in your Bible or your device to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to focus on that looking back in the first five verses. But this is also a letter of looking forward. Because Paul and and even the rest of the apostles, they're all going to be departing this earthly life. 
And what will the church need? What will pastors like Timothy need in order to survive? Where are they going to go when there's no longer a Paul or a Peter or a James to turn for definitive answers? Well, we're going to do a little bit of a brief overview of the entire letter, a little bit of a preview of where we're going in the coming uh, months through this series. But first we want to begin where Paul begins in 2 Timothy 1 verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And really this this short little passage, it really just breaks down into two simple movements, and it would just basically be first that Paul greets his beloved child in the faith there in verses 1 and 2. He greets his his child in the faith. And then second, in verses 3 through 5, Paul thanks God as he remembers their shared affection and faith. Thanks God. So first of all, Paul greets Timothy. He calls him a beloved child in the faith. Now Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now an apostle was a special uh, sent one that... This is a person who Jesus chose to represent him, to preach and to teach with his authority. And even though Paul wasn't one of the original 12 apostles that Jesus selected during his earthly ministry, Paul was a witness to the resurrection. He saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, and he was commissioned by Christ himself as Paul recounts his conversion story in Acts 26, 17. And there Jesus literally says, I I apostello, I send you to the Gentiles. I apostle you. And Paul says here in verse uh, verse 1 that this was by the will of God. And he's adamant in Galatians and many other places in defending his ministry that his apostleship and his gospel message did not come from men but came from God. And what is that message? The message, he says, is the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Really, this is the basic message of Christianity. True life, everlasting life, comes through Jesus Christ alone. In John 14, 6, Jesus claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you're not a believer or if you're not experienced with Christianity, the good news is, about Jesus Christ is what Paul is alluding to here in verse 2, where he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the gospel. Those, Those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they receive grace that's undeserved favor and kindness. God's Spirit living in them and the the promise, the hope, uh, the sure promise of eternal life. They receive not only grace, but they receive God's mercy, His 
His compassion, His forgiveness for sinners. His mercy is given to the weak and the broken and the helpless. And that mercy is possible because of Christ's death in the place of sinners, taking the penalty for sin upon Himself, and because of His his resurrection from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the evil one, Satan, the one who always seeks to destroy and ruin God's good creation. So everyone who trusts in Christ, they receive grace, they receive mercy, and they receive, receive peace. And vertically, what that looks like is a restored relationship with the God who made them. Horizontally, what that looks like is reconciliation and peace and unity in human relationships as, as God's Spirit in a believer produces supernatural love and patience and kindness and forgiveness. And so that is the gospel that Paul and Timothy dedicated their lives to proclaiming. It's the gospel that our church seeks to to center all of our life together around this gospel message. And if you want to know more about this gospel and what it means to trust in it, to trust in Christ and to follow him, uh, please talk to me, talk to one of the other pastors or the elders or someone who brought you here because nothing is more important today. Now, the first movement, as it were, of this passage was Paul's greeting. He introduces himself as an apostle and greets Timothy. The second movement in verses 3 through 5 is where Paul thanks God for Timothy as he remembers their shared affection and faith. Let's just look at verse 3 again. Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Paul turns here to thanksgiving, and note he mentions that the God he serves is the same God his ancestors served. Even though now there are many Jews who who oppose Paul, who reject Jesus as the Messiah, Paul knows that his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and the people of Israel who were brought out of slavery in Egypt and given the law, They serve the same God who Paul now serves as he is now taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. The God of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures, he has fulfilled his promises to Abraham Abraham, and to Moses and to David. He's fulfilled everything that was promised by the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, when they spoke about the servant of the Lord who would come and of the new covenant So there's a continuity between the Old and the New Testaments because through Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, he fulfilled the Scriptures. So Paul writes elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. So Paul serves the same God as his ancestors did He goes on then to say in verse 3, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He thanks God for Timothy with great affection. He prays for Timothy at all times. No doubt, especially knowing that Timothy has many burdens as he leads the Ephesian church. He knows Timothy is a young pastor. Right In 1 Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. He knows that that Timothy suffered from health problems. Those are referred to in 1 Timothy 5, 23. 
He knows there were problems in the church with false teachers. And so he prays for him. And church, I know that you already do this, but I would still just encourage you all the more to pray for your, your elders and your pastors. When you remember them, just like Paul here, when you remember them, pray for them. Because simply put, you know, they have burdens related to ministry, yes, related to family, related to health. They are, are frail humans just like you uh, in need of God's grace uh, and just to cling to the gospel, right, for, for their hope. And so pray, pray for your elders and pastors and all those who, who serve and, and lead among you. But Paul not only prays constantly for Timothy, but he recalls Timothy's tears the last time they parted. And he longs to see him again because he says that I may be filled with joy. You know, when Christians serve together the Lord, when they serve side by side, when they share life and ministry when they even go through hardship together for, for the sake of the gospel, the bond that they have in Christ becomes even, even deeper, an even deeper one. And the reality is that makes goodbyes painful. It also makes reunions sweet. And just in the same way that Paul had to say goodbye to Timothy as each were following their individual calling to serve in different places, you know, we likewise have members from this church who, who the Lord moves on to other places, whether that's related to the military or to school or to work. And of course, as we know, even pastors at times are, are called on to other places, and we feel, we feel that loss. We feel that grief. And yet, church, we have something that the world doesn't have. Because we know that one day, even if, it's, even if it's not in this life, we will all be reunited again. And it's forever. It's with no more goodbyes. And so in the meantime, we are on assignment. We are following where our master calls us. Now, Paul is, is thankful here not only as he remembers the deep affection that he has for Timothy and Timothy has for him, but he's, he's also thankful remembering Timothy's faith. And it's a faith that Paul says is sincere. It's not merely shallow. It's not surface level. It's deep and genuine. And he's also thankful that this is a faith, he says in verse 5, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. What a wonderful thing that these two godly women are, are commended here and their names recorded for us 2,000 years later. We know that Timothy's father was, was a Greek and presumably not a Christian, but his mother Eunice was Jewish. We, we hear of her in Acts 16 as well. And we're told that she was a believer. And apparently, Eunice's mother, Lois, was also an early convert to Christianity. And so Paul thanks God for sincere 
faith that's spanning across three generations. Now, make no mistake, Timothy is a believer by the grace of God alone. And so many of us here know how, how God can break into a family with seemingly no history of faith and, and just miraculously save a person. There are so many testimonies to that. And Timothy certainly is a believer by God's grace alone. And yet, in his case, the means that God used, the means were not only Paul's gospel preaching, but also Eunice and Lois's faithful influence. Because we read later on in 2 Timothy 3.15 that it was from childhood that Timothy was acquainted with Scripture, with these sacred writings that were able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what an occasion that is to give thanks as we remember, as Christians, the men and women, whether it was our biological parents or grandparents, or whether it was parents and grandparents in the faith, but faithful believers who sowed gospel seeds in our lives. And just as Paul thanked God for multiple generations of faith in Timothy's family, even as he connected his own ministry, his service to God, with his ancestors who served God before him, we should also thank God for multiple generations of gospel faithfulness. You know, this church, South Canyon Baptist Church, was established in 1953. This December, it'll be 70 years old. And so what that means is there have been at least two or three generations of the gospel being proclaimed and believed and passed down to both adult converts and children and grandchildren. And we should praise God for that. And at the same time, we should pray that he keeps us faithful for the next 70 years. Amen? Now, to the children here, and I know there's a lot of children in here, and you guys are doing awesome. I want to I speak to you for, for a moment. So if you're, I don't know, under 18, uh, really listen up. First of all, we're really glad to have you here. And it's not just because we like you and think that you're fun and cool and enjoy being around you, although that's true. We're also glad you're here because we love you and we want you to hear about Jesus. But I have a question for you. Do you have parents or grandparents who are Christians, who love Jesus? I know, I know that some of you here in this room have parents and grandparents who are here in the room today with you. What a blessing that is. Just like Timothy had a mother and a grandmother who loved Jesus and who taught him about the Bible, your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, they love you and deeply long for you to trust and to love Jesus Christ. And that is why you're here today. It really is a sign. It's a sign of God's kindness and his love for you. But you know, Timothy had to have his own sincere faith. He couldn't just stand in his mom's shadow. Did you know that Timothy, he needed his own faith that was like a superpower. He had to have a real, genuine faith that could sustain him in, in really hard situations. When his friend and his mentor, Paul, was being thrown in jail and being rejected and being called 
uh, all kinds of names. And when other preachers were out there spreading a false gospel and telling lies about how to be saved, and when Timothy was feeling stressed or anxious or sick or feeling like he was too young for all the big heavy responsibility that was being put on him, Timothy had to have his own faith, his own real faith that was like a superpower, a special gift that he received from the Holy Spirit. And each of you, every one of you, has to have your own real faith. Your grandparents and your parents and and the teachers and the pastors here, they can only tell you about Jesus and lead you to him, but you have to reach out and love him and pray to him and trust him for yourself. And just know we're always here to answer your questions or listen to your, your worries or doubts. Okay? There, there are no stupid questions, all right? You can always bring your questions and know that we'll always love you even when you aren't sure about your faith. So we never want you to pretend or just to say what you think we want to hear. We want you to be honest and real because Jesus can meet you right where you're at. Remember, he invited the children to come to him. Now for the grown-ups here today, how much do you think back and consider God's providence in your own story? You know, we've considered these three generations of faith in Timothy's family. Paul knows Timothy's family history. He reminds him about it. And there are a lot of great blessings to be thankful for, but there are also painful things. You know, if we consider, as we already mentioned, Timothy's dad was, was a Gentile, and it, and it seems from Acts 16 that he wasn't a believer. It was only the women in Timothy's family who shared his faith. And so sometimes looking back involves grieving the hard things, being thankful for the blessings, and entrusting God's providence in all of it. You know, sometimes I think as Christians we can take a verse like Philippians 3.13 where Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward the goal. And we assume what that means is we should never look back. But we need to understand the context of Philippians 3. Paul is describing his race of faith and pursuing that prize of Christ's call in his life. And so, yes, he says, forgetting what lies behind, but earlier in the chapter, Paul gave a detailed breakdown of his life history, his background as a Jew, and how he counted all of that as loss compared to knowing Christ. And in another place, in 1 Corinthians 15, he recalls how he persecuted the church, and he calls himself the least of the apostles. Paul was very aware of his story and he had, he had processed it and thought about it and prayed about it in light of Christ's redeeming grace in his life. So even as we think about 2 Timothy and how Paul is looking back and thanking God for working in and through Timothy's family, and then he looks forward to the future, we need to remember there's real value in looking back with honesty and sometimes grief, but also thankfulness and in all of it, recognizing 
God's gracious providence. So, in closing, what can we expect through kind of the remainder of this letter as Paul shifts from this this little section of looking back with thankfulness to now looking to the future, the future of the church after he's gone? What is he going to say? What is he going to tell Timothy? He's going to give Timothy an urgent charge to this young leader who represents the future of the church. He's going to say something along these lines, if we were to summarize it. He's going to say, Timothy, even though it's costly, remain faithful to Jesus and his gospel because Jesus is always faithful. Even though it's costly, remain faithful to Jesus and his gospel because Jesus is always faithful. So in the rest of chapter 1, Paul charges Timothy in verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Serving Jesus involves risk, and every disciple has to count the cost. But Timothy, don't shrink back, even though many in Asia have turned away from Paul, he says in verse 15. They're ashamed of his chains. But Timothy, remain faithful because Jesus is faithful. Paul's convinced that Jesus is able to guard the gospel that he's entrusted to Paul. He calls it in verse 13, the sound words, and in verse 14, the good deposit. Paul has passed this gospel along to Timothy, and he likewise must guard it. And then in chapter 2, Paul gives a little roadmap for how Timothy can preserve this gospel that he's been entrusted with, not just during his lifetime, but for the generations to come. And so in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, is this going to be an easy task? No. So Paul instructs Timothy to share in suffering. And he gives him three different illustrations. And if any of you kids are waiting for, uh, for some of these pictures that are on your handout, here they are finally. He gives him three illustrations in verses 3 through 6. Chapter 2, a soldier, a soldier who cannot allow himself to be entangled in civilian matters because he reports to his captain. And then second, an athlete who must discipline his body to perform in the games with strength and endurance and precision and to keep all the rules in order to receive the victor's crown. And then third and finally, the farmer who has to work hard and be patient if he wants to reap the harvest. But again, it's worth enduring, it's worth suffering, because, he says in verse 11, those who die with Christ will be raised with him, and those who endure will reign with him. And Jesus remains faithful even when we lack faith. And then he goes on in in verses 20, 21, to exhort Timothy to purify himself from all that's dishonorable and so be a useful vessel to his master. And to do this, to pursue, he says, pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace in community. In verse 22, he says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There's the church. And then in chapter 3, again, more suffering. Paul warns that hard times are coming. In verse 2 through 5, 
He says people will be characterized by self-love, by pride, by abuse, by hypocrisy. And he's describing preachers here. He's, he's describing religious people, even leaders. But these false teachers will not succeed. Timothy needs to faithfully follow Paul's example. In verse 10 and 11, to adhere to sound doctrine, to remain patient and steadfast, even in the midst of suffering. Because he promises in verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But Paul is confident in Timothy that if he continues in the truth that he'd been taught from childhood by his mother, his grandmother, if he continues in the wisdom that comes from Scripture, which he says in, in, chapter, in verses 16 and 17, Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, able to correct false teaching, and to equip believers for every good work. And then finally, in, the, in chapter 4, as the letter draws to a close, Paul's really brutally honest about his situation. In verse 6, he's convinced the time of his departure has come. And then in verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So he urges Timothy, come right away, if possible. Bring the cloak, because I'm cold. Bring the books and the parchments, because I'm alone with nothing to do. And he warns Timothy about those who have deserted him and even those who have harmed him. So in, in these final verses, it's so clear that being faithful to Jesus may come with a cost. But even in spite of everything that Paul has lost, even though everyone abandoned him at his trial, Jesus was faithful to Paul. Jesus stood by him. So in verse 17, he says, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And Jesus would be faithful to Paul to the very end. In verse 18, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And so my prayer for us as we, as we continue to study this, this amazing letter is that we as a church would be encouraged and strengthened in the firm conviction that it's worth it to serve Jesus faithfully to remain committed to the truth of the gospel. Even through trial, even through loss, even through hardship, because Jesus is always and will always be faithful. He stands with us even in the darkest moments. Let's pray. Can we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would just um, write it on our hearts that you would just impress us with uh, all the reasons we have to be thankful, all the reasons we have to trust you. Uh, you have never failed us. Help us to, to fully put our, our hope and the weight of all of our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. He alone uh, is our confidence and our hope. He is better, and help us to believe that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.